Father, so it is that our understanding of eternity is, is, is stretched. It's inadequate. We can't, we can't even get there because eternity is divided at that point, at that moment. The birth of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank You for Him. We thank You that He loved us with a love that caused Him, that drove Him joy to give His life for us. Lord, we pray that today we would give Him the glory, the worship due to Him, to You. We pray that in that, our own hearts might be steadfast and firm in Your love that we might live lives worthy of Your calling. We thank You through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So, uh, it was in 1991, just before we left Alaska, that Barbara and I were, as when people are moving want to do, up late at night. And so that night we were loading up the car and as we were looking up into the uh, darkness of the night sky, the aurora borealis really began. Now ordinarily they're, they're kind of waves of uh, uh, some sort of a green hue and they just move quietly across the sky, but not this night. Oh, no, this night it started from one side and they bolted all the way to the other and formed like a ball of violet or purple and then come running back the other way. And then the waves, the curtains of blues and reds and all manner of different colors just stretched across the sky from one to the other. It was so stunning that we woke up the girls and we brought them outside and we said, you have to see this. It was the most spectacular display of the northern lights that either one of us had ever seen. And given that we had lived in Alaska for a combined total of 34 years, that's, uh, that's saying just a little bit. So we woke them up. They loved it. It was so bright, they cast shadows on the snow, on the ground. It was like a heavenly ballet just for us. The reason I say that is because everybody else was asleep. I mean, you know, so, have you ever seen the aurora? The aurora borealis? It may not even be a familiar term to you. You may know them as the northern lights, but aurora means the morning dawn. Have you ever wondered what aurora's name in... in the, it wasn't Cinderella, it was... Sleeping Beauty, right? The spindle? Anyway, boy, that shows my ignorance of Disney princess uh, lore. But anyway, the morning dawn. And Borealis means the northern wind. And so, essentially, it ordinarily looks like a breeze going through an open window and the curtains just moving. But not this night. The northern wind was blasting through open windows and the curtains were just flying Everywhere. Sailors uh, for centuries refer to it as the, the merry dancers. And it's rarely seen in the 
contiguous, the 48 contiguous states. If you get really far up north, occasionally you'll see some, some uh, light ones, but not very powerful. But 157 years ago, yesterday, the most prominent display of the aurora ever seen from that day to this in the state of Virginia marked the most lopsided battle of the Civil War, Fredericksburg. The South took it as a sign of victory, ultimate victory. The North took it as a sign that God would take vengeance. But all, if you know anything about that battle, took it as a sign of what they called in that day, Heaven's Morning Veil. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. God tells us in Isaiah that another light would shine in a moment of great darkness that would illuminate the darkness of the entire world with the coming King. And the question that we find in Isaiah was how would men and women take the sign of that God would give? Or for us today, how do we view the sign that God gave? Isaiah wrote to a people in utter darkness. And in fact, the generation that he spoke to did not see the light at all. But the entrance of that light was so vivid that Isaiah wrote of it as if it had already happened. So turn with me to Isaiah 9 in verses 2 through 7. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, and the book of Isaiah is one of the richest, most profound books in all of the Scripture that we have. It speaks so much of the coming King, and this is true in our passage today in 9, 2 through 7, where we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling Warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the question before us, um, I don't... I don't actually know how to count. I got in trouble when I was in the army because I took an extra day of leave. Because with 30, do you start with the first day or do you start with day zero? I don't know. I still don't know. So I think we're like 10 days before Christmas. Who's keeping that up? Oh, 
My wife gave me the thumbs up. So we're ten days. Do we see Isaiah's great light illuminating our dark and frightened and crippled world today? Or more to the point, do you see that great light in your own heart? You know, our, our world's in terrible darkness. I, I have taken, literally, I've taken mental health days away from the news. I can hardly stand it. It causes, I have high blood pressure as it is, and so I watch that and it goes higher. Why do I want to harm myself? We live in a world that is in terrible darkness. But you know what? It was just as dark during Isaiah's time. It was just as dark at the birth of Jesus Christ. The world is in darkness because of sin and the darkness became too uh, all of us, because of the fall in Genesis, Eve was deceived and Adam rebelled and sinned against God. And sin entered the world and thus death and all the pain and all the sorrow that we've seen all the way through human history. And that's what Isaiah is setting up, this amazing contrast that all of the human history of sin and sorrow that dominating mankind, men and women stumbling around in the darkness, trying to find a way. God calls Isaiah to prophesy during that time, during that time of rebellion, because he's establishing all of this darkness in contrast with this great, tremendous light that we heard the children speak of this morning in John 1, 1 through 14. Barb leans over and she says, can you do that? <laughs> I can read it. <laughs> if I have the monitor working back there, I could, I could, I could do that. But isn't that a, that's a wonderful thing to see the children embedding the Word of God into their hearts. They will never forget that. They may think they forget it, but they never will. It will come back to them as the Lord uh, desires, but he calls uh, Isaiah to make this prophecy to a completely unregenerate people. You have to understand that at this time with Isaiah, they Israel. We don't think is of Israel, and we think of them as monotheistic. Yeah, uh, and certainly that would be today, and certainly it was after the captivity. But this is before the captivity. They were into idolatry. There was child sacrifice. There was all manner of evil going on. There was this darkness there. And God tells Isaiah that He's going to bring judgment on Israel through Assyria to conquer them. Now that happened with the northern kingdom. This isn't really a history lesson, but understand that Babylon then took over Judah and Jerusalem. But this text was about Assyria. Assyria is coming down, Assyria is going to take over. You know what? They didn't listen. They didn't listen to God. And it was only a few hundred years after this that the Lord just fell silent. And for 400 years, there was nothing but silence. Complete darkness. From Isaiah's time all the way to the birth of Christ and through the life of Christ, Israel 
was dominated by foreign powers. First the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks. We don't hear much about their rule, but that's why you have all of the people, so many of the people in Israel with, with Greek-sounding names. Alexander really pushed through that entire territory. In Rome, they had oppressive leaders. We don't even know what the word means. But I'm going to describe a little bit to you. In the form of, in Israel, there was Herod the Great. I don't know if you know much about Herod. If you look up Herod in uh, most uh, dictionaries or something like that, what they're going to tell you is that he was an architect. He was a brilliant politician. And he built so many wonderful things. And he did. But you know what? He was also an evil, vile, paranoid, wicked, whatever word you want to put in front of it. That's who he was. When we read in the Gospels that Herod sent the soldiers to kill every baby or child two years and under in Bethlehem, that shocks and surprises us. But let me tell you, if you knew him, or if you knew anything about him, you would not be you would neither be shocked nor surprised. This guy was so paranoid about anybody that he murdered his sister's husband, Joseph. He thought Joseph might be gaining too much power. So he her name was Salome. Maybe you've heard of her. He murders her husband. And then he murdered his wife, uh, Mariamne. He, he murdered her father. And then Salome, for whatever reason, she got jealous and said that Mariamne and her mother were plotting against him. So he killed them. And by all accounts, get this, by all accounts, he was deeply and madly in love with Mariamne, but he loved power more. And then he executed his two sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. Two of his sons by Miriam, he killed them. And then, of course, in the historic, that was kind of a timeline of this guy. He's killing his own family. He's murdering them off. And then that's when the wise men show up. Remember, they show up and, and he tries to ascertain, hey, when did you see all this? When was this child born? Where? And so forth. And then so then he takes this action against the children there of Bethlehem. Matthew 2.16, it says, All children that were born in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under. The coast thereof, that means the surrounding area. It wasn't just Bethlehem. He wanted to make sure that he got Christ. He wanted to make sure that that was done. And then later that same year, he murdered Antipater, another son. It's reported that after that, Julius Caesar, uh, not, uh, not Julius Caesar, Julius was long gone. Caesar Augustus, otherwise known as Octavian, right, said this, this is a quote, it's safer to be Herod's pig than his son. So not only was there this generalized darkness in the world, but there was this specific awful darkness that political leaders had. It was a special kind of darkness. The darkness that J.R.R. Tolkien spoke of in The Lord of the Rings. But it wasn't just them. 
The land itself was darkened by sin and sinful people. The people were more interested in themselves, in their own things, than they were with God or doing the will of God. They were selfish. They were self-centered. They were hedonistic. They were entitled. Doesn't sound much different today, does it? The reality is this, and we don't, maybe we think of it in some cases as relates to our personal life because that's where we live, move, and have our being. But the truth is that this darkness is all around us. The world is in darkness. Worse than that, it's in us. At one time, and for most even now, we were estranged from God. I'm talking about generally. Sinners living in darkness and we didn't even know it. I had the, I'll call it a, I don't know what I should call it. I need to think that through. But I was saved after I had been on my own for several years. And prior to my salvation, I had no notion that I was lost. I was just living living my life. It was only at the moment when I realized that I was in this darkness and when the light shined, it was only then that I realized that I had been blind before. Blind people spiritually have no concept of their, their, their blindness. We were estranged from God, living in darkness. And so Isaiah writes, the people, that would be us, and of course his audience that he wrote to then, walked in darkness and, and dwelled, dwelled in the land of deep darkness. He's not simply referring to Herod-like figures. He's talking about us. We can't see where to go. We can't see the dangers that are in front of us or what's waiting around the next bend. We get turned around. We have no sense of directions. In other words, we are, we're lost. I may have mentioned this story before, but it's so profound as it relates to darkness. In February of 1988, it seemed like our dream of being missionaries to the Middle East uh, you know, was was flickering. It was on life support. Uh, Barb had had uh, this major uh, surgery, brain surgery, and then six weeks of radiation treatment. We didn't think we would ever be able to go over. But but it wasn't February of 88 anymore. Now it was April of 89. And so aside from the medications that Barb had to take, you know, we were good. She was uh, recovered. And so we said, let's go. Let's just go take a look-see. We're going to go to Egypt and Jordan, see what the Lord is, you know, if He's really calling us there. So on the way, we had a, I think it was a 22-hour layover in Amsterdam. And uh, and so, Dan, that's when, we, that's when we went over to his house. It was like a four-hour train ride to his house and, and, and back. We'd never done anything like this before, but the train station is actually in the airport. So we just went, we hopped on the train, we made our way down there, we visited... And then uh, had a great time, and then we and then we went back, and then we went on our way to to Egypt. We visited the pyramids and the Sphinx and all the wondrous things there. But because we had some local connections there, 
they took us to another place out in the middle of the desert. It was a hole in the ground. I don't know what it was called. I tried to remember. It did not come to my mind. But there's a little spiral, a little spiral staircase that wound down probably the height of the, this opening here uh, down to the, the ground there. And you could see all these little electric light bulbs. They were just strung, kind of like Christmas lights, except for they were just the little light bulbs. No guide, no nothing. So we're down there and we're looking. We go into some of these little uh, tombs and they are absolutely amazing. It was as if the people who did it had just left. And yet this thing is three and a half, four thousand years old. I mean, it's tremendously old. The sky was painted blue and there were stars all over, you know, up in these, these tombs. Well, one of them had a sarcophagus that didn't have the lid on it. Now, I tend to think of myself as adventurous, but my wife wanted to get in it. She said, she says, I want to get in the sarcophagus. I said, I'm not a superstitious person, but that kind of gave me the creeps. But anyway, so, so she climbs in. She gets in. They're, 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 they're pretty big. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't little. And as soon as her head hits the little pillow carved in the bottom, all those lights went out. <laughs> Boom. Like that. And we're down. We're in the middle of total, complete darkness. And you don't even want to move. You don't know, is there a hole? Is there something sticking out of the wall? You know, and everything down there is hard. It's all made out of rock. So, but by field, you know, I was able to get her up and out. But we just stood there, seemed like an eternity, because where are you going to go? And there was no, well, why didn't you use your iPhone? Didn't exist. Didn't think to bring a flashlight. Who thinks when you go down into a tomb, <laughs> I should have, that the lights are going to go out? Seemed like an eternity, but it was only probably about five, five minutes. And then the, the lights came back on, and so it was, you know, woo. The feeling when the light came back on was just this tremendous sense of relief. And then I looked in the sarcophagus. I was looking if there was a trigger or something. How many people climb into this thing? But no, it was just one of the, it was just one of those things. But darkness, in, in, is, when it's uninvited, especially, but darkness can be terrifying. When you walk in the light. Darkness is terrifying, but when you're born and walk in the darkness, you don't know the difference. And it's obvious to all of us, even all of us, I would say all, whether they've heard of Christ or not, no matter what culture, no matter what language, everyone at one point or another says, this, this can't be right. This is not the way life is supposed to be. Something is wrong. That's the sense of darkness. Isaiah wrote about that deep darkness in which the people were living. The darkness of anguish and sorrow and sadness and spiritual death. However, there will come a time suddenly when a light will shine. 
And so what's the significance of that? It's the significance of what he says about this light. We know who this light is. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the way the, the Jews would look at this, this, this would be the Messiah, the King coming. And for us, in the, you know, going beyond that into the New Testament, we know this person to be Jesus Christ, the ray of glorious hope that will give light to our darkness. John 1, 3 and 4. We heard that. The life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Isaiah reveals that the source of this great light is the birth of a king. The king to be precise the people you know the people in isaiah's day they should have received this news with with joy but they did not you know they just were obstinate and they were angry and they were rebellious against god and israel suffered greatly greatly because of that and yet the lord's desire even then in the midst of the horrible sin that they were in, his desire was to free them, to liberate them, to give them life. And at Christmas time, we need very much to remember that the Lord remains the great liberator. He wants you free. He does not want you bound by sin. He does not want you bound by darkness. He wants to lift the yoke off of you that hinders you from knowing the true freedom that He came to provide at Christmas. So Isaiah continues on with this. How, how will this light come into the world? It will come through the birth of a baby. And this baby, the government will be on his shoulders. He will establish the kingdom of God. Now, some of you who uh, have enjoyed maybe reading short stories or throughout your life, maybe you've heard of uh, the luck of Roaring Camp. In 1868, Bret Hart, he was the uh, editor of the Northern Californian and a number of years before that, in 1853, he had actually worked on a gold mine. And it was a very distressing uh, operation. Most of the people came away with nothing or less than nothing or even great harm and, and, and death. A few people got rich. but mm. So anyway, he wrote this story. It's called The Luck of Roaring Camp. Now, Roaring Camp in this little story was the toughest, the meanest, the roughest, the most brutal camp in all of California. Murderous fights and thefts and brutality. And there was a single woman there. And this woman became pregnant. And this woman then went into labor. And because everyone in the camp were men, they had no idea how to help her. Consequently... As the story goes, in the short story, she died in childbirth. However, the child lived. And they didn't have any idea what to do. So they said, well, we, we know it needs 
milk or something. And there was a donkey there that was giving milk. And so they said, well, use donkey milk and maybe, maybe the baby will live. He's got to have some place to sleep. You know what a sluice box is? That's a little box that they run water through and they, they dump dirt in it. And it's got little ridges and that's how they find gold. So they put the baby in there and then they said, this isn't good enough. So they actually ordered a crib from a city 80 miles away and they brought this crib in there. Then when they put the crib in the little cabin the baby was in, they said, this isn't good. We got this nice crib and this cabin is miserable. So they painted the walls and they put up some curtains and they fixed it up a little bit. And then this little kid starts wandering around. Everybody wanted to touch this little kid because they thought he was lucky. And, uh, I mean, after all, he survived, he survived them. But they were grubs, right? And so they didn't want to touch him with their dirty hands, so they started ordering soap. They started getting cleaned up. And then somebody fought around the kid, and they said, hey, 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 no, you can't do that around the kid. Right? So they stopped fighting. And they stopped drinking. And they stopped all the nonsense that they were, that they were doing. And they changed. The hardened miners, they gave up their profane ways for the love of a baby. Now, whatever else may be said about Hart's story, because there are a few other details in there, the fact is an entire community was changed by the presence of a baby. Now, the good news of Christmas is that the baby that we worship, the man, Jesus Christ, came with life-giving and redemptive power. We do not clean ourselves up. We do not make ourselves fit for the king. Guess what? You cannot. But the baby that came in the Bible, as prophesied by Isaiah, came with the ability to save and to give life and to cleanse us from our sin. We do not cleanse ourselves. He cleanses us. And Isaiah gives this child four titles. And he says, Wonderful Counselor. I, I, I marvel at that because we don't often see Jesus Christ as our Counselor. We see Him in, in many ways, but He's someone who sits. He invites us to speak with Him. He wants to hear your story. And then He wants to tell you through His Word how we should live, and the church has always seen Jesus the Messiah in this way. And then wonderful counsel, you move from that to, to mighty God, the victorious hero who defeats all the enemies, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty God, fully divine, fully human, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh. Everlasting Father. Father over His children with a rule based on divine love and care. And Prince of Peace. Wholeness. The word shalom, a very rich word. Harmony. 
completion, fullness. It's not confined to the absence of hostility. It's the presence of these other things. And for Isaiah, peace was offered to the people. They could live in harmony with God. They chose not to. And many today choose not to. Yet He is the Prince of Peace. His kingdoms come about not by war, but through peace. The working of the Spirit of God in the hearts of mankind. Yes, we know, Clausewitz said, only the dead know the end of war. I don't even believe that's true for some. Yes, there's going to be war. There's rumors of war. We understand that. There'll be a great war at the time of Jesus Christ when He comes back and then there'll be a great judgment. But guess where we are now? Right now, you can come to Jesus Christ in peace. And He offers this in peace. We know that one day, every knee shall bow. Every knee. Have you ever thought about that? When we say every knee, we say, oh, every believing knee. Every knee who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's not what the Scripture says. Every knee will bow. Whether it's now in peace or later in judgment, our knee will bow to the King. Let it be now in peace. I mean, the tyrants and dictators of the world, they've made their way by oppression, brutality, Fear, tyranny. But Jesus Christ brings a righteous rule that will last forever. And this vision that Isaiah had is going to be accomplished by the Lord Himself. It says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now zeal, that expresses this notion of urgency and passion. And has this happened? Did the Lord accomplish this Himself? Yes. And of course, it's an ongoing story. But in Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate in a matter of just a few days, John writes of Jesus the Messiah, His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now you don't think necessarily of that text going with the birth. But it's that same kind of zeal that the Father has for His house that He had in making the birth happen. So finally, does this light still shine? Some people think that it's burned out. Some people think that it never was there. C.S. Lewis tells a really a a pitiful tale about his grieving when he lost joy. And he talks about the house that he used to go to that was so warm and so inviting and so wondrous. And yet, after he lost joy when he would go to that house, it was empty. The lights were off. He began to wonder if anybody was ever really there. He's talking about his relationship with God. As you know, he came out 
He grieved for joy the rest of his life. But he came out on the other side of that, recognizing the love and compassion of God and the restoration of his fellowship with him. But the light remains. The light must remain. One final little story. Curtis Lewis tells a story about a young author uh, who had this opportunity to have, he was good, and he had this opportunity to read one of his uh, short stories to a uh, renowned uh, author. And the plot of the young aspiring uh, author's story went something along these lines. How the one day the son decided to go to New York to leave his mother and make his fame and his fortune there and his intent was never to come back. And his mother, upon his leaving, said, Son, if you ever get into trouble, come home. And as you come over the hill, look toward home, and you will always find a light burning in the window, and I will be waiting to welcome you. The young man, he did get into trouble, and he actually ended up going to prison. And upon his release, he remembered the words of his mother, and so he hitchhiked, home, and he couldn't get all the way there in the car, so he walked the remainder of the way from the little town that he was from. And as he went over the hill, he saw the outline of the house, his house, his mother's house. But there was darkness in the window, and there was no light. At that point, the renowned author, he leaned forward, he looked the young man in the eye, and he said, put the light back in. (laughs) Why? Is it because we're attached to fantasy and we don't want to believe that bad things happen? No, it's because we know that the world as it is should not be this way. You should not be suffering as you do. Nor me. We know that the world is broken. And it's only Jesus Christ that gives us a measure of life and peace in the world that we have. The light which Isaiah spoke of will never go out. Because it is the light of God's glory Revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's this light that we celebrate this morning. It's that first light that penetrated the darkness. And that first light is an everlasting light. One glimpse of the aurora. I hope you all get to see this one day. Will give you a fraction of the sense of God's Glory. It lights up the sky with beauty unimaginable. This Christmas season, pause to give thanks and wonder and worship to our wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Peace be to all of you, to all of us, May this season just be a wonderful time of fellowship with God and with your family and friends.
Father, we are amazed that you, well, we're just amazed. Your son willingly gave up the fullness of the throne of heaven to come down to be born in the night without a home, without a place to call his own, in a stable, in a feeding trough. We can't comprehend this. But we do know that the light that He shone across the world, if we believe in Him, if we trust in Him for our salvation, that light shines not only generally, but specifically, truly, in our own hearts. We thank You and we praise You through Christ our Lord. Amen.